All right, if you got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. We've, been, we've just started just a few weeks ago uh, this uh, kind of quest on learning, learning what Jesus taught. Imagine that, church learning about what Jesus taught. Sermon on the Mount, first beatitude. Let's dive right into that. If y'all can start up my PowerPoint, Mr. Mr. Pete. All right, way to go. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Let's go right into that scripture. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, remember, it talked about Jesus saw the multitudes, went up on the hill, and he started teaching, and the disciples followed him. This is Jesus' teaching, okay? This is Jesus' teaching. This isn't just a neat statement to know. This is Jesus' teaching on how to have a successful, how to walk this thing out the proper way in victory. Amen? All right, so we're here to be taught. Amen? Father, teach us. Open up our hearts. Let us not kick into sermon mode and check out. Let us check in to your speaking to us directly to our heart right now, Lord. We submit ourselves to you right now, Lord. I do. All I can do is submit myself. You've got to submit yourself. I submit myself. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we dove into this last week, and you need to download it if you didn't hear it. But basically, you know what it means to be poor in spirit? It doesn't mean to be poor physically, poor financially. There's no blessing about that. That's not good. God wants to bless you financially, but he's talking about being poor in spirit. What do you mean? What I mean is, and I believe what Jesus means is, you've got to recognize that we have a need. We have a spiritual need. We have this huge void that we cannot get over the hump without the Spirit, without God, that we are poor in spirit. One of the first steps in recovery is identifying what your problem is. And God's saying, your problem is you need me. You were created to need me. And I don't mean me. I mean, you all know what I mean. Jesus, you were created to need God the Father. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walking on the earth, was in need of God the Father. We need to recognize that we are poor in spirit. We are lacking spiritually. Okay? So, the first thing as we looked at last week in how to develop a spirit of being poor in spirit is, number one, this is on your notes already, I must humbly admit. I have to admit. I have to speak it out. I have to identify with my problem, and I have to speak it. How many of you have never gotten breakthrough until you finally admitted, I have a problem? You know why that works? It's because it it takes humility to admit. And you know what God says? If you'll humble yourself, he'll give you grace. So why do we get breakthrough the second we admit? It's because we have to humble ourselves to admit. And when we humble ourselves, God graces us. And his grace is enough. His grace is enough. Number two. How to develop a spirit of being poor in spirit. This is where we're starting this morning. I need to, and, and, and you know, it, it, I know you're going to say, man, pastor, are you ever going get, to get away from the I need to humbly? Probably not. Probably not. Why? Because God gives grace to the humble. I need, how many needs grace? How many needs the power to change? How many of you tried to change on your own and you can't? You know what you need? You need grace. Grace is the power to change. I need to humbly what? Ask God for help. Now, do you see the first thing we did was admit our fault? 
admit our problem. The second thing is we've got to ask for help. Now, a big key here is we've got to ask the right person for help. How many of you have ever asked the wrong person for help? That's being poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit because they identify with their problem and they know where the source is to get their help. Jesus, I don't know if you're recognizing this, but Jesus is leading you to him. He's leading you to the Father. He's leading you to a place of protection, to, to still waters. He's leading you to provision. But we have to humbly walk, admit, and ask God for help. I admit, then I ask. I move from confession or admitting that I need help to petition, saying, I need help. It's one thing to say, I've got a problem. It's the next thing to say, Justin, I need help. We can have a staff meeting and I can say, man, I've just got this problem I've been dealing with and never ask for help and never get help. I want them to help, but they're not going to help because I didn't ask them to help. God says, okay, good, you identified your problem. Now what are you going to do? Well, God, I need help. How many of you need help? Okay, ask. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be opened. You've got some asking to do. Ask for help. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to look, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9, we're going to look at it in just a second. Paul was going through a tough time and he says, we despaired of even life itself. What's he saying? He's saying he has hit rock bottom. Now this is a spirit-filled man. He's seen, he's seen, he's been blinded by the light. Blinded by the light. Anybody go back that far? That's back in the 70s, I think. I don't know what the next phrase is. Everybody messes it up. I'm not going to try to repeat it, but I don't know what he says. I know the funny words that I would say, but blinded by the light. Paul has had a God experience, and here he is saying, I have despaired. I am despaired of even life itself. He's ready to just throw it in. Enough of this. Then look what he says in the same verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. We saw how powerless we were. What is that? Blessed are the poor in spirit. He has got a blessing on the way as he is releasing this out of his mouth. We saw how poor, how powerless we were to help ourselves. He's saying, I don't have the power to change. But look what it says. But that was good. Well, that doesn't feel good. But that was good. Why would it be good to admit my helplessness and my powerlessness? Look what it says. For then we put everything into the hands of God. You know, you don't know that God is all you need until God is all you've got. Sometimes that light needs to go on in you. And then he goes on, For then we put everything into the hands of God, who alone could save us, for even he can raise the dead. Now I want you to know, if God can raise the dead, he can raise a dead marriage. He can raise a dead relationship. He can raise a dead career. If God can raise the dead, whatever you're facing, God can handle. You know what God does? God turns crucifixions into resurrections. He says when we die to ourselves, he gives life.
how powerless we were. Big scripture, church. This is from the Living Bible. Notice that the verse says, we couldn't help ourselves. We put everything into the hands of God. I think I've got this in your notes. Circle the word everything. You'll see it there. For then we put everything into the hands of God. You know what that is? It is total surrender. Guys, I'm telling you, it's so easy to sing the song. It's so hard to walk it out. Total surrender. Now, what happens to us in our life is we want to compartmentalize. We want to say, okay, I've got a problem with my finances, but not with my marriage. God, help me with my finances, but I'm good with my marriage. I'm good. (laughs) Somebody laughed. Yeah, you're right. You know, the moment you think you can't be deceived, you're already there. You're already there. And then we, we get in trouble with our marriage, but our finances are good. God, don't worry about my finances. I'm good. I'm good. I'll talk to you about it if I need you. Nope, God says everything. Give me everything. It's for your benefit. God says, I'm going to bless it all. Give it all to me. I want, God says, it is my good pleasure to bless you. And he's got it stored up. Stored up blessing waiting for us. So what do we do? We ask God for help. Total surrender. Put it into his hands. Let me ask you, have you done this? Have you come to your, in a place in your life where you say, God, everything in my life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stinking, the rotten, the happy, the sad, the ups and the downs, I put it all into your hands. Because as your friend and your pastor, and I want you to know, I, I, I have, a, I have a, a, a very unique love for you. It's a love that's been given to me by God the Father. And I, I have such a desire to see you come out of your pit. It's a hard job to stand up here and to preach and to try to give out the word and to sometimes know the right answer. And even in our own life, we have a hard time walking it out. And then to see you struggling because we haven't quite got a hold of it. Same thing happens in our life. It happens with your kids. You might could understand it a little bit better with your kids. You know what to tell them to do. You tell them what to do, and then they won't walk it out. And they've got to get out here and struggle and figure it out themselves. I was talking to somebody last week about, you know, going through tests and, and, and going through struggles. And, you know, it's the struggle that builds your character. If you take a butterfly and you break it out of its cocoon to help them out, that butterfly will never fly. It has to push, it has to struggle, it has to stretch, it has to build those muscles so that when it does struggle out of there, and can you imagine how they're struggling thinking, I'm never going to get out. This isn't budging, I'm not strong enough, I'm just going to quit. But if you help it, it can't fully grow. You're in a struggle right now, I want you to know, turn to the Lord. He is going to help you. And he's not just going to help you, he's going to equip you to get yourself out of that cocoon with strength. But as your pastor, I want you to know you don't have to wait until you hit the bottom. Sometimes we are so stubborn and obstinate that God has to lay us flat on our back so that we'll look up to him. There's an easy way and there's a hard way. The easy way is to see the light. The hard way is to feel the heat. I've done both. The problem is most of us rarely change until our fear of change is exceeded by the pain. 
We won't change until it hurts enough. And when the pain gets so great, do you know what we finally do? Oh, yeah, God, I need help. Don't get to that place. Come to God and ask. Look what the message paraphrase says of the same of this scripture from Matthew 5, 3, the first beatitude. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Woo! Well, okay. Why? Because with less of you, there's more of God and his rule. You know what? When you get to the end of your rope, you will seek help. You will seek help. And God has to be that help. So I admit I need help. I ask God for help. Then the third thing in being poor in spirit, and for some this is the hardest. If it hadn't already been hard, here comes another hard one. I must humbly. Have we gotten used to that yet? Why do we humbly? So that God will give us grace. He gives grace to the humble. Thank you. I must humbly accept help. Do any of you have trouble accepting help? It's the third way. God's wired us in a way that we don't get healthy by ourselves. Let me be blunt with you. Have you got a problem that you want to get rid of in your life? That temptation, that defect, that fault, that sin, that fear, that worry, that loneliness. Whatever it is in your life, you're never going to get rid of it on your own. If you could, you would, but you can't. So don't. You can't do it. You're only going to get well when you're honest with others, not just God. And you know what? I've said this. You say, I don't want to do that. Why should I do that? Because it humbles you, and God gives grace to the humble. It's your pride that keeps you stuck. I was talking to somebody this morning, talking about pride. Pride is what keeps us stuck. That'll preach. Look what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. I use this at almost every wedding. I almost said funeral. At almost every wedding that I do. Two are better than one. He's talking about people. Because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. You know what that is? That's recovery. When one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him. Church, men, women, young people, God has wired us to work with other people. 58 times in the New Testament, he uses the phrase one another. Love one another, care for one another, help one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, support one another, counsel one another. We are to help each other out. That's why we have a church. It's to help each other out. You weren't meant to go through life as the Lone Ranger on your own. You weren't meant to face your problems and your sins by yourself. We need each other to be healthy. If you don't have anybody in your life that can be totally and brutally honest, I pity you because you're not healthy. God wired us in such a way that we only get well in community. That's why we have small groups. We grow in community. Do you know, I want, I want to give you a scripture today that maybe you've never, maybe you've never caught before, but do you know that the Bible says that even if you turn on God, 
even if you get so upset with God and you turn on him that you still should have friends around you, that you still should have the right to have friends around you. I want you to look at the scripture. This is from Job chapter 6, verse 14. Job chapter 6, verse 14. God says that even if people don't believe in me, they deserve to have their friends to hang in there with them. A despairing man. What is a despairing man? Someone that is facing crisis, someone that their life is falling apart, someone who's given up on their career, their marriage, or their life. A despairing person should have the devotion of his friends even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. You know what God's saying? We have struggles, but we need friends, real friends that will say, wait a minute, I love you. And even though you've fallen away from God right now, I want you to know God still loves you and I'm going to hang in there with you. And through my faith, I'm going I'm to hold on to you. You're down, I'm going to come and I'm going to help you up. And we're going to walk this thing out together until you get your feet back under you. Until then, I'm going to walk with you. A despairing man should even have friends around him so that when he does fall, he's got somebody to help him up. Do you see that? Have you ever fallen away from God or do you know a friend that's fallen away from God? Don't turn on them. The good Samaritan, the person that shouldn't have helped, is the one that helped. All his friends, all the people of title walked by. I'm not helping him. He helped himself. That's non-biblical. Jesus talked to people that even in this day would say, would, would, would create scandal. Talking to the woman at the well. Who were you talking to, Jesus? Somebody that needed my help. I've come to help the people that need my help. I haven't come to help the people that know everything and got everything right. They're good, they think. I've come to help the people that are down. Where's, show me somebody that's down. That's where I'm going, right there. That person that's hurt. How can I help you? I'm here to help you. How can I help you? That's the words of Jesus. How can I help you? That's real friendship. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have Bible studies and men's and women's groups and Sunday school. You need to be in a group. I believe that God gave us church not just so that we could come together and worship. That is why to come together and worship, but also to connect us to someone. Because we got a lot of days in between the next meeting we have. And a lot of problems come during those days. God didn't just bring the body together so that we could stay disconnected and do one little function and go home. No, he wanted us to connect as a body. Get in a group so, so you don't just come in here and sit and soak and sour. You know, if all you did was just come to, come to church on Sunday and you get the word, and I've talked about this once a week. It'd be like going to Golden Corral or wherever your favorite buffet place is and pigging out on Sunday. Man, let her rip. You've got your $10 in, you're going to get your $10 worth. But then you fast the rest of the week. You're not going to have another drop. Now imagine what that would do to your digestive system. Imagine what that would do to your strength. And that's the exact same thing we try to do with God. God, I will give you an hour. I don't know if the preacher preaches long. I might give you a little bit more than that. But I'm going to give you an hour. And then I'm going to fast the rest of the week. Your word and your power. 
you know, there was a guy that talked about, hey, he had an iPhone and he, it, the battery started to go dead. So he went to plug it in, his USB, plug it into his MacBook, his, uh, his, uh, no, his laptop computer. And he started noticing that his iPhone wasn't charging, wasn't charging at all. He started researching it and looking all around, figuring out what's the problem. And he finally realized his MacBook had to be opened. There is no power with the book closed. There is no power with the book closed. The power is in the opening it and me sharing with one another and me learning and me growing and me walking according to his word. But there's no power here. It's, it's, just, a, it's just it's paper and leather or imitation leather. The life is in the word. I've got to get in the word. And the way that God, uh, the way that we do this is we get together in the word. We break bread together. Somebody say amen. amen. When you sit in a Bible study with three or four people at somebody's house or at Starbucks or in an office and the book is open, you know what happens? You get the power. That's where it comes. That's where that living comes from. That's the next verse. One of the most important verses for your health and holiness in becoming like Christ and getting over your habits and your hangups. Look at this. James chapter 5, verse 16. Admit your faults one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Key word, healed. Check out these other words. Admit. That's confessing. Pray for each other. Admit. Pray each other. Healed. They're all connected. We've got to be healed. We've got to admit and pray for each other. It's the key. Revealing your feeling. Revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. I've had such a hard time with that. You know, if anybody needs this sermon, it's me because I hate to talk about my feelings. I hate it. It does not make me feel good. I feel bad when I talk about my feelings. But at the same time, I cover them up and I act like they're not there until I hit a, a, a pothole in the road and something comes out that I didn't realize was there. Do you remember Wednesday night dealing with the fruit, knowing what, what comes out of your mouth was what was stored up in your heart? And I hit that pothole and I realized I've not dealt with that feeling. I'm still car carrying unforgiveness. I've not forgiven that person. I've not made that right. I'm holding that against God. I'm holding that against the world. I'm holding that against my wife. And I can't get free. Well, what's, my, what's the result? Admit. Pray for each other so that I might be healed. Elizabeth came to me with a, a pretty big issue. It's been two or three weeks ago. And she said, will you just pray for me? Yes, I will. And I will take some of that burden on, on me. And we're going to dump it all on God. God created, and I don't mean this to be crude at all, but a dumping station. He, he does not want you to carry these things on your back. He wants to carry them with you. He wants to carry that load because his load is easy. But we're not supposed to carry it alone. Confess your sins not just to God, to one another. You know, if somebody comes up, as I hand out gum outside, every now and then someone will come up and say, Pastor Paul, I've never told somebody this. You know what? A, a little bell goes off in me. 
somebody's about to get free. Somebody's about to get free because you know what? Satan has got them to hold that in their whole life, and here it comes. It is the first step to healing. They're about to let it out of their mouth. Once it gets out of the mouth, let me tell you, God can deal with it. God can deal with it. And then you see the sigh of relief over the person that I've prayed with or talked to, and they say, why didn't I do that a long time ago? There's relief and there's healing in just sharing, just admitting. Why? Because the moment you do, you have humbled yourself, and God gives grace to the humble. The hardest step, the hardest step sometimes is sharing it with someone else because it so hits your pride. And you know what? I've said this before, and I'd I'd almost guess that you've said this. I don't mind sharing it with God, but I'm not sharing it with anyone else. Good luck with that. You know what? You're going to be stuck with it the rest of your life because you're not supposed. You, God did not create us in a way that we get we get healed on our own. God has wired us in a way that we need each other to grow. Now I want you to catch this. If you want to be forgiven, tell it to God. If you want to be healed, share it with somebody else. How many of you have come to the come to the altar and given it to God over and over and over, but you've never made it right. And you're still being held by it. That's what happens to me is when I give it to God, I realize what's in my heart and I realize God's saying, you know what? I've forgiven you, but you've not forgiven this person over here. I'm not sharing that with you to make you feel bad. I'm sharing that with you to get you free. God doesn't, God does not bring condemnation. He does not bring a guilt trip on you to push you down. He brings conviction on you to hope that you'll go and deal with it so that you can get healed from it. Jesus' message is a message of freedom. And let me tell you something. There is nobody, whoever you're carrying unforgiveness toward, they are not worth your unhappiness. That thing they did is Satan's way of hanging on to you the rest of your life. To be bitter and mean and nasty. Chew on that one just a minute. All right, you know what's great? You don't have to tell everybody. And I would encourage you, don't tell everybody. There's some people not to tell. But I will tell you, my best friend is my wife. And sometimes she's the hardest one for me to tell, but she's the only one that I can tell. Because in the, in, when the rubber meets the road, she has got my back. And sometimes um, the response I get is hard. It's hard to take. It's not what I want to hear. And I don't always react correctly. But 99 times out of 100, she's right on. Why? Because she loves the Lord and she loves me. And she's going to cover me. She's not going to expose me. She is so good at that because every now and then my kids will have a hard time and I'll bring, I'll bring it up. And she's like, Paul, don't talk about that. And what she didn't realize, what she's saying is cover them. Don't expose them. Cover them. You know, that's what a good friend does is covers you. Do you remember when Abraham was doing what he was doing? I believe it was Abraham and his, he had a, I believe it was his son. I'm probably messing this up. Noah, thank you. That's right, Noah. He had... He had gotten drunk and was naked. Imagine that. Sounds like today. (laughs) 
One of those closest to him exposed him. The other one came in and covered him up. That's our role. Not to go out here and gossip and talk about what we've heard, but to cover it. To pray for it. And when we do that, we get healed. And I believe we bring the power to heal. Not in us. In his word. When we help lead a friend to confess what they're going through and pray for them and cover them, you know what's coming? Healing is coming. And the Lord does that through us. So, what can keep us from admitting? What can keep us from sharing with one another? There's three fears that I'm going to share with you real quickly, and then I'm going to close. Three fears that Satan can get you stuck in to keep you, three fears that will keep you stuck to keep you from getting free. Now, again, I, I kind of, this is my disclaimer. You can go away from here and say, man, that was a good sermon. I like that. I like that guy. He, he's, he keeps me interested and, and uh, it's good stuff. Or you can say, okay, I'm going to walk this thing out. Let's put God's word to the test and see if I can't get unstuck. I want unstuck. I've heard enough good sermons. I need it to affect my life. Number one, we have the fear of our own emotions. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought, man, if I tell anybody about this, I won't even be able to hold myself together anymore. If I even have to deal with that issue, that memory, that event, that sin, that abuse, that accident, that hurt, that wicked, evil, mean, bad, nasty thing, if I even talk about it, I can't handle my emotions. Let me tell you, it is something that holds me. I don't want to talk about it because I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to deal, about, deal with it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. So Satan says, okay, good enough for me. Just hold on to it. I, I'm good. Just leave it right there. I don't want to talk about it. I won't be able to handle my own emotions. In fact, I might even go crazy. Anybody here ever felt like they were going crazy? Can I encourage you? Relax. Number one, everybody's felt like that. Everybody. So you're not that special. Everybody. Number two, only rational people have that thought. Crazy people don't care if they're crazy. I am not kidding. They don't care. So if you say, I think I might be going crazy, well, let me encourage you. You ain't going to do it. You're good. You're recognizing there's a problem. That's the first step to being poor in spirit. I'm going nuts. I can't figure this thing out. Ooh, I, Jesus says, I think you may be at the end of your rope. Yay! I got you now. I might even dance at church. Because I don't know anything else to do. That's, that's the only thing I can think to do now. I've tried everything else. Okay, I'm going to raise my hands. I've never raised my hands. Well, God says, okay. I see. I see that. I'm going to and fro looking for those that will worship me and will come after me so that I can go and perform my word in their life. There's one. That's somebody who normally wouldn't have done that. I see that. Y'all ever hear the pastor? Everybody bow your hands. I see that hand. I see it. And God said, oh, I see that. Not a game. God, if, you're, if you're playing a game, God knows. Oh, he's playing a game. I'll catch them later. They'll, they'll, get it, they're good. they'll get their hands up the right way. It's just not today. So, I'm broken. You're broken. 
I'm half crazy, you're half crazy. Welcome to Crazy Church on the Hill. We are all in the boat together. We're broken, but we're broken together. And my brokenness is going to be dealt with with you. Okay. So, second fear. Second fear. It's the reactions of others. How many of you have ever confessed your heart to somebody and they go, I don't think I would have said that. No, that's why you got to tell it to the right person. Because the right person's going to say, you know what, I've been there. And you can come out of this. Or they might say, you know what, I've not been there, but man, that is hard. How can I help you? Let me pray for you. Let's meet tomorrow and let's start to deal with this. Can we get together? Can we have coffee? Can I call you? Can I help you? We start to fear being rejected. We start to fear being pushed away. And you know what? We're in, we've got this fear of, you know what? She's the only friend I've got. And if I tell her this, I might lose her. So I'm not going to tell her. Satan goes, gotcha. You're right. You will lose her. So don't tell her. You know, when I'm not holding something. All of a sudden, she's... <laughs> Satan wants to hang on to you and drag you to hell. And I mean hell. No, he can't. He does not have that power. The power of Christ has given us victory over Satan. So, the reaction, other, others' reaction. Can I tell you? You need to get over that fear. You need to get over that fear. Number three, the fear of being honest is useless. What will it do? What's the point? Why should I tell anybody what I'm struggling with? Been there, done that. Didn't help. Have you ever really been honest with somebody? If you haven't, that's why you've never been released in fact, God says, confess your, your sins one to it, confess your faults one to another, whereby you will be healed. This is a promise, and God's not a liar. Admit your faults to each other, and the truth is God has promised to help. Do you know the song we just sang? So remember your people, remember your children, remember your promise, oh God. What are you saying? I know your word, God, and I'm standing on it. And I'm asking you, remember your promise. So when I go and I share my heart with this brother or with this sister, God, I'm standing on your promise that you're going to bring healing into my life and that they're not going to hurt me. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting this person. I'm trusting God so that I will be healed. Just coming to church will not make you grow spiritually. You know, the U.S. Air Force did a study that says that... Uh, um, that we forget 90 to 95% of what we're taught. Everything we hear, we, we forget 90 to 95% within 72 hours. So, in three days, you're not going to remember hardly any of this. That's why we give you notes. That's why we give you notes. You know, the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. I didn't make that up. I... I 
I got that from somebody else. It's not a new, it's not a new phrase. The shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. We've got to write it down. So if you really want to get over your habits, your hurts, your hang-ups, if you want to grow spiritually into maturity and be like Christ, you've got to do more than just listen to sermons. You know, you can come in here and hear me teach over the next several weeks, but then you go home through the week and you read the Word of God. Then you get in your small group and you start to discuss it. Then you might even memorize a memory verse and say, blessed are the poor in spirit for those will inherit the kingdom. What scripture was it? Matthew 5, 3. It's not that hard. Okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit. So you hear it, you read it, you memorize it, you do it, and it'll help you grow. And let me tell you, you will be a different person in several weeks. If all you do is come to the church on the hill and you listen to sermons over the next several weeks and that's all you do, you are not going to change. You might get a few good ideas, but you're not going to change because that's not enough to change you. It is going to take help. We, ask, we admit, we ask God for help, and we ask each other for help. I have walked through in the last year, uh, God has walked me through showing me how much I need other people to help me. This is not something that I'm just asking you to walk through. I'm walking through this with you. And we need each other's help. And I don't have all the answers, and neither do you. But together, we'll come healing. Together, we can get free. But I want you to know, if you, if you commit to these uh, eight Beatitudes in this sermon series, but you don't know Jesus, you've missed it completely. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, look what it says here. For when we were unable to help ourselves. When we were unable to help ourselves. You know when that is? Right now. Now, when we were unable to help ourselves at that moment of our need, which is right now, Christ died for us. It's the cross. Jesus came to give you grace, and grace is the power to change. You've got to accept Christ in your life. Do you know Jesus? Have you made that decision? There is an enemy at war for you right now. There is a battle in the spiritual realm for your soul. And Satan is trying with everything in him to keep you from making that commitment. But I want you to know that is the commitment to coming out of your pit. That is the commitment to getting free. That is the commitment to getting that hole filled in your life that nothing else will fill. When you are unable to help yourself, at that moment of need, Christ died for you. You may be thinking, you know what, my problem's not that bad. Can I ask you something? How bad has it got to get before you'll ask for help? You know, I've got four children, and some of the kids, at the first sign of struggle, they'll ask for help. 
other kids at the last possible point at all will they ask for help. They're just different personalities. How bad does it have to get before you'll ask for help? One guy said, the acid of my pain finally ate through the wall of my denial. If you feel like you're at the end of your rope, congratulations. Now is the time for change. Would you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Blessed is the poor in spirit. Who can admit that we are in great need of God in our life? And literally go and seek it.